And so the story of Esther. How many of you know the story of Esther? Okay, so the story of Esther is a little vague because it doesn't come up all that often. And we always have little snippets of it. We never tell the whole story. So let me give you the Cliff Notes version of Esther. So once upon a time, yes, it is a story. Um, scholars debate whether, where it is rooted in actual historic issues, but, but Esther was written as a story. So once upon a time, there was a young girl named Dasa, and she, her parents died, and her cousin Mordecai, who was older than she was, like an uncle, he was the one who raised her. And so Mordecai raised Hadassah, um, and they were in the, um, in Susana, which was out in modern-day Iraq. So um, this was the Jewish diaspora after, um, after the, the fall of the temple, the first time in 586 BCE. So somewhere in the 500s BCE, before Christ, um, they're living out in the desert of Iraq, in this city, and it is the time um, after the Babylonians had come through and, and um, forced everybody out into the diaspora. Now the Persian Empire was coming in. This is before the Greco-Roman Empire came in here. So you, you kind of have to get these sweeps of the people who were controlling the lands where the Jews lived. And so this Jewish community out in the diaspora in, in Sushana um, were living there and trying to live faithfully out there as people who were displaced. And there was a king, Ahasuerus, and King Ahasuerus's queen was Vashti. And he was having this big festival where for half a year it was a drinking festival. And they were gathering every day to have great, large you know, libations and celebrations and drink to their fill and celebrate. And so as the six-month period goes on, the king, in a bit of a happy state, um, decides that Queen Vashti should come out and dance for all the people in her crown, meaning in her crown, nothing else. Well, it, the way the rabbis tell the story is that Vashti had a bit of a skin condition. This isn't exactly scriptural, but it's the way the rabbis tell the story, is that she had a bit of a skin condition and was not feeling like it was the appropriate time for her to completely disrobe and dance naked in front of the people. So, she refused. Well, you do not refuse a king. And so, King Ahasuerus banished Vashti from the kingdom. And then, as he had the right to do because he was the king, he decided it was time to search for a new queen. And so, the word went out that the king's harem would be um, beefing up their stock so that the king would have an adequate choice for a new queen. 
And Mordecai says to Hadassah, who's a very beautiful young woman, there you go. There is your opportunity to come into, you know, fame, come into fortune. That's the way to go. And so Mordecai brought his daughter, or his niece, no, actually his cousin, to the front <laughs> gate. And she was chosen to be one of the king's harems. And so the, the, as the harem was there, the, the eunuchs who were in charge of the harem took special kindness to Hadassah. And first they said, well, dear, that's a Jewish name. It's got to go. We're calling you Esther. So the first thing she gave up was her name. And she became Esther. And they spent six months doing beauty treatments on her, making sure that she got special allotments of food because they wanted her a little bit rounder and fuller and more feminine. And the beauty treatments that would make her skin soft and her hair lush and full. And so she spent six months and then when the king came to look at his harem, he said, aha, Esther, that's the one. It makes you wonder a little bit, like, did they have anything in common? <coughs> did they like each other? Could they have a conversation that went all night long? We don't know any of this. All we know is the king said, aha, that one. And so Esther becomes Queen Esther. And meanwhile, Mordecai is still lurking around the front gate of the walled city, watching and seeing what's going on. And one of the things he finds out is that there were two people who were planning on assassinating the king. So Mordecai called that to the attention of the satraps and prefects and viceroys of the, of the community and said, you need to stop this assassination attempt. And so it was written in the annals of the kingdom that Mordecai was the one who brought this to their attention and saved the king's life. And that went on to pass. And then Mordecai here, Mordecai, Meanwhile, sitting at the front gates, when Haman, the viceroy, the second in charge to the king, keeps going by and everybody stands up and bows to Haman. But Mordecai sits at the gate. And every time Haman would walk by and Mordecai would not rise up to bow to him, it irritated the heck out of him. And he was like, what's up with this? Why won't he bow to me? And it was explained, well, he's a Jew, and he does not bow to anybody but his God. And so Haman says, well, we got to do something about these Jews. we got to do something about this because they're not rising up and bowing to that which is in charge. And so Haman is thinking about how this should be done and he says to the king, the Jews do not honor and respect you. Um, and so we need to send out a notice throughout the provinces, 
the 13 provinces of the Persian Empire and put to death all the Jews. And so he builds a gallows, 13 cubits high, the biggest gallows you've ever heard, seen, and he is planning on the execution and the hanging of Mordecai and his friends. But meanwhile, back on the royal court, Queen Vashti is in the harem and becoming more beautiful by the moment. And she has occasional meetings with her uncle or cousin or whoever Mordecai is exactly to her. And, and she goes to Mordecai and he says, you need to do something about this because Haman is planning on having all the Jews in the kingdom put to death. And she said, well, what can I do about it? I'm, I'm just the queen. I'm just, I'm just this little Jewish girl who happened to come up here and find her way into this position, but I have no real power. I have not seen the king myself for a long time. And if I just walk into the king's chamber and say, I want a meeting with you, and the king doesn't want to see me, I will be put to death. And Mordecai says, well, you cannot stay silent. Because if you do, all the Jewish people will be put to death. Maybe you are put in this royal position for a time just like this. So Queen Esther gathers her courage and she goes in and sees the king. And he's happy to see her. And she says, oh king, will you and your good assistant Haman come to my palace and have lunch tomorrow? And so she puts on a feast for them. It's all lovely. And he says, oh, well, this was just wonderful. What else could I do for you? Anything that you ask. She says, would you and Haman come to lunch again tomorrow? And so they come back to lunch again tomorrow. And it happens to be that that night the king had trouble sleeping. And so the servants come in and to put him to sleep start reading him the annals of the kingdom. Because what's more boring than reading bureaucracy and, you know, and expecting someone to fall asleep. So as they're reading this story, he finds out that Mordecai had saved his life by saying that two people were going to assassinate him. And he said, well, who is this Mordecai and what have we done for him? And so when he asks Haman the next day, what do we do for someone who saves the king's life? Haman thinks, well, he's talking about me, because Haman is like that. And so Haman says, oh, well, we put him in the, the, the king's royal finery, and we put him on a horse, and we parade him around the town, and we give him a big feast. And he said, great, let's do that for Mordecai. And Haman is like, all right, this guy's got to die. And so the next day at lunch, um, when the king says, what can I do for you, Queen Esther? 
And she explains that, well, I'm a Jew. And all my people are slated to die because of this person, Haman. So the king says, well, let's use those gallows that Haman built and use them for Haman. Let us celebrate Mordecai. And although we cannot call that the decree that says people should fight against the Jews, we will allow Mordecai to write a new decree which allowed the Jews to go out and defend themselves. And so, as many stories in our Hebrew scriptures, there is a great slaughter of those who are enemies of the Jews. And, they and that became the festival of Purim, of, of lots, because they chose lots when they were um, deciding who was going to die. And so it became the festival of lots. They turned it on their head, and the Jews to this day celebrate the festival of Purim, where the Jews were allowed to be free. And so that is the story of Esther. So Esther is this young woman whose body was used as a way to get power and control against her leading. Um, Esther is an example of a woman of courage who's courageous. Mordecai, who's lifted up as a hero, is to me a bit of a cad who was willing to say, well, take my cousin. <laughs> um, and let her be the way that we find our salvation. And yet we know through this story, when Mordecai says to her that you can't be silent because all your people may perish. And perhaps maybe, maybe, you are put in this position for a time such as this. And so in the same way, we are called up not to be silent. Not to be silent when we see those who are in positions where they have no power and no control. That we cannot be silent when there are those who have no voice, that we cannot be silent when in this day and age people are telling young women that their bodies are what need to be sold so that others might have what they want. We cannot be silent when we are in a time and place <laughs> where those who have so much put so much pressure on those who have nothing. And so we are at a time where we too cannot be silent.
because perhaps we're created for a time like this. We are gathered here as this body of Christ, this body that comes together as people who are lifted up in faith and love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that cannot be a quiet thing. We cannot be quiet here. We cannot be quiet in the world. We must speak the truth in love. We must speak the truth for those who do not have a voice. We must speak the truth for those who are just pushed to the very edge. And so Queen Esther tells us that even though she was willing to risk her life, it was worth it because her people and her father's people mattered. Now this is an in-group conversation. This is about taking care of her own. And so we need to stop for a minute as we go out there and speak the truth into the world of who our in-group is, who our people are. Yes, they're the people in this congregation we will lay down our lives for each other. But there are also people in this community. Where do we draw our circles? How do we decide who it is that we are gathered together with? Who is it that we will defend? Who is it that we will lift up? Who is it that matters the most? And as we look to see whose voice we might join ours with. We're reminded that Jesus said, the orphan and the widow, the ones imprisoned, the least of these, when you do this for me, when you do this for me. And so we go out doing this for Jesus, going out as disciples, saying, yes, Jesus, we will see you on the people in the margins. We will see you in the naked, in the homeless, in the hungry, in the lonely, in the imprisoned. Yes, Jesus, we will see you in those faces so that we might speak with you. In Jesus' name I pray.